11. E chief buildings are the Hydropathic and the McFarlane Museum of Fine Art and Natural History. The industries include bleaching, dyeing and paper making. The Strathillan Gathering, usually held in the neighborhood, is the most popular athletic meeting in Mid-Scotland. Air 3 Castle, standing in a fine park with a lake, adjoins the town on the southeast, and just beyond it are the old church and burying ground of Logie, beautifully situated at the foot of a granite spur of the Ochil Range, Bridgeport, a city, a port of entry, and one of the county seats of Fairfield County, Connecticut, USA Company extensive with the town of Bridgeport, in the SW part of the state, on Long Island Sound, at the mouth of the Pequonic River, about 18 meters SW of New Haven, Pop, 1880 27.643, 1890-48.866, 970.996, of whom 22.281 were foreign-born, including 5974 from Ireland, 3172 from Hungary, 2854 from Germany, 2755 from England, and 1436 from Italy, 1910-102.054. Bridgeport is served by the New York, New Haven and Hartford Railway, by lines of coast steamers, and by steamers to New York City and to Port Jefferson, directly across Long Island Sound, the harbor, formed by the estuary of the river and Yellow Mill Pond, an inlet, is excellent, between the estuary and the pond is a peninsula, East Bridgeport, in which are some of the largest manufacturing establishments, and west of the harbor and the river is the main portion of the city, the wholesale section extending along the bank, the retail section farther back, and numerous factories along the line of the railway far to the westward. There are two large parks, Beardsley, in the extreme north part of the city, and Seaside, west of the harbor entrance and along the sound, in the latter are statues of Elias Howe, who built a large sewing machine factory here in 1863, and of P.T. Barnum, the showman, who lived in Bridgeport after 1846 and did much for the city especially for East Bridgeport. In Seaside Park there is also a Soldiers and Sailors Monument, and in the vicinity are many fine residences. The principal buildings are the Street Vincents and Bridgeport Hospitals, the Protestant Orphan Asylum, the Barnum Institute, occupied by the Bridgeport Scientific and Historical Society and the Bridgeport Medical Society, and the United States Government Building, which contains the Post Office and the Customs House. In 1905 Bridgeport was the principal manufacturing center in Connecticut, the capital invested in manufacturing being area code 49381348, and the products being valued at area code 4458651. The largest industries were the manufacture of corsets the product of Bridgeport was 19.9 of the total for the United States in 1905. Bridgeport being the leading city in this industry sewing machines one of the factories of the Singer Manufacturing Company is here. Steam fitting and heating apparatus. Cartridges the factory of the Union Metallic Cartridge Company is here. Automobiles. Brass goods. Phonographs and gramophones. And typewriters. There are also large foundry and machine shops. Here, too, are the winter headquarters of Barnum and Bailey Circus and of Buffalo Bill's Wild West Show. Bridgeport is a port of entry, its imports in 1908 were valued at 656.271. Bridgeport was originally a part of the township of Stratford. The first settlement here was made in 1659. It was called Pequonic until 1695, when its name was changed to Stratfield. During the War of Independence it was a center of privatering, 
In 1800 the borough of Bridgeport was chartered, and in 1821 the township was incorporated. The city was not chartered until 1836. C.S. Orcutt's History of the Township of Stratford and the City of Bridgeport, New Haven, 1886. Bridges, Harobiardi 1844. English poet, born on the 23rd of October 1844, was educated at Eton and at Corpus Christi College, Oxford, and studied medicine in London at Street Bartholomew's Hospital. He was afterwards assistant physician at the Children's Hospital, Great Ormond Street, and physician at the Great Northern Hospital. Retiring in 1882, two years later he married Mary, daughter of Alfred Waterhouse, R.A. As a poet Robert Bridges stands rather apart from the current of modern English verse, but his work has had great influence in a select circle, by its restraint, purity, precision, and delicacy yet strength of expression, and it embodies a distinct theory of prosody. His chief critical works are Milton's Prosody 1893 a volume made up of two earlier essays 1887 and 1889, and John Keats, a critical essay 1895. He maintained that English prosody depended on the number of stresses in a line, not on the number of syllables, and that poetry should follow the rules of natural speech. His poetry was privately printed in the first instance, and was slow in making its way beyond a comparatively small circle of his admirers. His best work is to be found in his shorter poems 1890, and a complete edition of his poetical works six volumes, was published in 1898-1905. His chief volumes are Prometheus Oxford, 1883, privately printed, A. Mask in the Greek Manor, Eros and Psyche 1885, a version of Apuleius, The Growth of Love, a series of 69 sonnets printed for private circulation in 1876 and 1889. Shorter Poems 1890, Nero 1885, A Historical Tragedy, the second part of which appeared in 1894, Achilles in Cyrus 1890, A Drama, Halesia 1890, A Romantic Drama in the Elizabethan Manor, The Return of Ulysses 1890, A Drama in Five Acts, The Christian Captives 1890, A Tragedy on the Same Subject as Calderon's El Principe Constant, The Humors of the Court 1893 a comedy founded on the same dramatist's El Secreto of Osses and on Lope de Vigas El Perro del Horleno, The Feast of Bacchus 1889, partly translated from the Hutan Timoruminos of Terence, Hymns from the Yachtan Hymnal Oxford, 1899, and Demeter, A Mask Oxford, 1905, V.04P.0533 Bridges, 1. Definitions and General Considerations, Bridges Old Forms, Brig, Brig, Brudge, Dutch, Brug, German, Bruick, a common Teutonic word are structures carrying roadways, waterways or railways across streams, valleys or other roads or railways, leaving a passageway below. Long bridges of several spans are often termed viaducts, and bridges carrying canals are termed aqueducts, though this term is sometimes used for waterways which have no bridge structure. A culvert is a bridge of small span giving passage to drainage. In railway work an overbridge is a bridge over the railway, and an underbridge is a bridge carrying the railway. In all countries there are legal regulations fixing the minimum span and height of such bridges and the width of roadway to be provided. Ordinarily bridges are fixed bridges, but there are also movable bridges with machinery for opening a clear and unobstructed passageway for navigation. Most commonly these are swing or turning bridges. Floating bridges are roadways carried on pontoons moored in a stream, 
In classical and medieval times bridges were constructed of timber or masonry, and later of brick or concrete. Then late in the 18th century wrought iron began to be used, at first in combination with timber or cast iron. Cast iron was about the same time used for arches, and some of the early railway bridges were built with cast iron girders. Cast iron is now only used for arched bridges of moderate span. Wrought iron was used on a large scale in the suspension road bridges of the early part of the 19th century. The great girder bridges over the Mene Strait and at Seltash near Plymouth, erected in the middle of the 19th century, were entirely of wrought iron, and subsequently wrought iron girder bridges were extensively used on railways. Since the introduction of mild steel of greater tenacity and toughness than wrought iron i.e. from 1880 onwards it has wholly superseded the latter except for girders of less than 100 feet span. The latest change in the material of bridges has been the introduction of ferro-concrete, armored concrete, or concrete strengthened with steel bars for arched bridges. The present article relates chiefly to metallic bridges. It is only since metal has been used that the great spans of 500 to 1800 feet now accomplished have been made possible. 2. In a bridge there may be distinguished the superstructure and the substructure. In the former the main supporting member or members may be an arch ring or arch ribs, suspension chains or ropes, or a pair of girders, beams or trusses. The bridge flooring rests on the supporting members, and is of very various types according to the purpose of the bridge. There is also in large bridges wind bracing to stiffen the structure against horizontal forces. The substructure consists of the piers and end piers or abutments, the former sustaining a vertical load, and the latter having to resist, in addition, the oblique thrust of an arch, the pull of a suspension chain, or the thrust of an embankment, and be the foundations below the ground level, which are often difficult and costly parts of the structure because the position of a bridge may be fixed by considerations which preclude the selection of a site naturally adapted for carrying a heavy structure. 3. Types of bridges. Bridges may be classed as arched bridges, in which the principal members are in compression, suspension bridges, in which the principal members are in tension, and girder bridges, in which half the components of the principal members are in compression and half in tension. But there are cases of bridges of mixed type. The choice of the type to be adopted depends on many and complex considerations, one the cost, having regard to the materials available, for moderate spans brick, masonry or concrete can be used without excessive cost, but for longer spans steel is more economical, and for very long spans its use is imperative, to the importance of securing permanence and small cost of maintenance and repairs has to be considered, masonry and concrete are more durable than metal, and metal than timber. Three aesthetic considerations sometimes have great weight, especially in towns. Masonry bridges are preferable in appearance to any others, and metal arch bridges are less objectionable than most forms of girder. Most commonly the engineer has to attach great importance to the question of cost, and to design his structure to secure the greatest economy consistent with the provision of adequate strength. So long as bridge building was an empirical art, great waste of material was unavoidable. The development of the theory of structures has been largely directed to determining the arrangements of material which are most economical, especially in the superstructure. In the case of bridges of large span the cost and difficulty of erection are serious, and in such cases facility of erection becomes a governing consideration in the choice of the type to be adopted. In many cases the span is fixed by local conditions, such as the convenient sites for piers, or the requirements of waterway or navigation. But here also the question of economy must be taken into the reckoning. 
the cost of the superstructure increases very much as the span increases, but the greater the cost of the substructure, the larger the span which is economical. Broadly, the least costly arrangement is that in which the cost of the superstructure of a span is equal to that of a parent foundation. For masonry, brick or concrete the arch subjected throughout to compression is the most natural form. The arch ring can be treated as a blockwork structure composed of rigid voussoirs. The stability of such structures depends on the position of the line of pressure in relation to the extrados and intrados of the arch ring. Generally the line of pressure lies within the middle half of the depth of the arch ring. In finding the line of pressure some principles such as the principle of least action must be used in determining the reactions at the crown and springings, and some assumptions must be made of not certain validity. Hence to give a margin of safety to cover contingencies not calculable, an excess of material must be provided. By the introduction of hinges the position of the line of resistance can be fixed and the stress in the arch ring determined with less uncertainty. In some recent masonry arched bridges of spans up to 150 feet built with hinges considerable economy has been obtained. For an elastic arch of metal there is a more complete theory, but it is difficult of application, and there remains some uncertainty unless as is now commonly done hinges are introduced at the crown and springings. In suspension bridges the principal members are in tension and the introduction of iron link chains about the end of the 18th century, and later of wire ropes of still greater tenacity, permitted the construction of road bridges of this type with spans at that time impossible with any other system of construction. The suspension bridge dispenses with the compression member required in girders and with a good deal of the stiffening required in metal arches. On the other hand, suspension bridges require lofty towers and massive anchorages. The defect of the suspension bridge is its flexibility. It can be stiffened by girders and bracing and is then of mixed type, when it loses much of its advantage in economy. Nevertheless, the stiffened suspension bridge will probably be the type adopted in future for very great spans. A bridge on this system has been projected at New York of 3200 feet span. The immense extension of railways since 1830 has involved the construction of an enormous number of bridges, and most of these are girder bridges, in which about half the superstructure is in tension and half in compression. The use of wrought iron and later of mild steel has made the construction of such bridges very convenient and economical. So far as superstructure is concerned, more material must be used than for an arch or chain, for the girder is in a sense a combination of arch and chain. On the other hand, a girder imposes only a vertical load on its piers and abutments, and not a horizontal thrust, as in the case of an arch or suspension chain. It is also easier to erect. A fundamental difference in girder bridges arises from the mode of support. In the simplest case the main girders are supported at the ends only, and if there are several spans they are discontinuous or independent, but a main girder may be supported at two or more points so as to be continuous over 2V.04P.0534 or more spans. The continuity permits economy of weight. In a three-span bridge the theoretical advantage of continuity is about 49 for a dead load and 16 for a live load. The objection to continuity is that very small alterations of level of the supports due to settlement of the piers may very greatly alter the distribution of stress, and render the bridge unsafe. Hence many multiple span bridges such as the Hawk Esprit, Benares and Chitravati bridges have been built with independent spans. Lastly, some bridges are composed of cantilevers and suspended girders. The main girder is then virtually a continuous girder hinged at the points of contrary flexure so that no ambiguity can arise as to the stresses. Whatever type of bridge is adopted, the engineer has to ascertain the loads to be carried, 
and to proportion the parts so that the stresses due to the loads do not exceed limits found by experience to be safe. In many countries the limits of working stress in public and railway bridges are prescribed by law. The development of theory has advanced peri passu with the demand for bridges of greater strength and span and of more complex design, and there is now little uncertainty in calculating the stresses in any of the types of structure now adopted. In the modern metal bridge every member has a definite function and is subjected to a calculated straining action. Theory has been the guide in the development of bridge design, and its trustworthiness is completely recognized. The margin of uncertainty which must be met by empirical allowances on the side of safety has been steadily diminished. The larger the bridge, the more important is economy of material, not only because the total expenditure is more serious but because as the span increases the dead weight of the structure becomes a greater fraction of the whole load to be supported. In fact, as the span increases a point is reached at which the dead weight of the superstructure becomes so large that a limit is imposed to any further increase of span. 4. Roman Bridges The first bridge known to have been constructed at Rome over the Tiber was the timber Pons Sublisius, the bridge defended by Horatius, the Pons Milvis, now Pondimala was reconstructed in stone by Amelius Scorus in 109 BC and some portions of the old bridge are believed to exist in the present structure. The arches vary from 51 to 79 feet span. The Pons Fabris use mod, Ponti de Quattro Capi, of about 62 BC is practically intact, and the Pons Sestius, built probably in 46 BC retains much of the original masonry. The Pons Elis, built by Hadrian AD 134 and repaired by Pope Nicholas I and Clement Ix, is now the bridge of St. Angelo. It had eight arches, the greatest span being 62 feet. Dirocasiris mentions a bridge, possibly 3,000 to 4,000 feet in length, built by Trajan over the Danube in AD 104. Some piers are said still to exist. Abiyah's relief on the Trajan column shows this bridge with masonry piers and timber arches, but the representation is probably conventional figure 1. Trajan also constructed the bridge of Alcantara in Spain figure 2, of a total length of 670 feet at 210 feet above the stream. This had six arches and was built of stone blocks without cement. The bridge of nurses, built in the 6th century figure 3, carried the via Celeria over the Anio. It was destroyed in 1867, during the approach of Garibaldi to Rome. It had a fortification such as became usual in later bridges for defense or for the enforcement of tolls. The great lines of aqueducts built by Roman engineers, and dating from 300 BC onwards, where they are carried above ground, are arched bridge structures of remarkable magnitude see aqueducts, seconds Roman, they are generally of brick and concrete. 5. Medieval and other early bridges, bridges with stone piers and timber superstructures were no doubt constructed from Roman times onward, but they have perished. Figure 4 shows a timber bridge erected by the brothers Gribben Man at Schaffhausen about the middle of the 18th century. It had spans of 172 and 193 feet and may be taken as a representative type of bridges of this kind. The Willingen Bridge by the same engineers had a span of 390 feet probably the longest timber V.04P.0535 span ever constructed, of stone bridges in Great Britain. The earliest were the Cyclopean bridges still existing on Dartmoor consisting of stone piers bridged by stone slabs. The bridge over the East Dart near Tavistock had three piers, with slabs 15 feet by 6 feet smiles. Lives of the Engineers, E.I. 43. It is reputed to have lasted for 2,000 years. 
the curious bridge at Crowland near Peterborough figure 5 which now spans roadways, the streams which formerly flowed under it having been diverted, is one of the earliest known stone bridges in England, it is referred to in a charter of the year 943, it was probably built by the abbots, the first bridges over the Thames at London were no doubt of timber, William of Malmesbury mentions the existence of a bridge in 994, J. Stowe's survey of the cities of London and Westminster describes the building of the first stone bridge commonly called Old London Bridge, about the year 1176. The stone bridge was begun to be founded by Peter of Colekirch, near unto the Bridge of Timber, but more towards the west. It carried timber houses figure 6 which were frequently burned down, yet the main structure existed till the beginning of the 19th century. The span of the arches ranged from 10 to 33 feet and the total waterway was only 337 feet. The waterway of the present London Bridge is 690 feet and the removal of the obstruction caused by the old bridge caused a lowering of the low water level by 5 feet and a considerable deepening of the riverbed. See Smiles, Lives of the Engineers, Rennie, Illustration, Figure 6, Old London Bridge, A.D. 1600, from a drawing in the Pepezion Library Magdalene College. Cambridge, from J.R. Green's A Short History of the English People, by permission of Macmillan and Company Limited, the architects of the Renaissance showed great boldness in their designs, a granite arch built in 1377 over the Atta at Trezzo had a span at low water of 251 feet, this noble bridge was destroyed for military reasons by Carmagnola in 1416, the Rialto Bridge at Venice, with a span of 91 feet was built in 1588 by Antonio de Ponti. Figure 7 shows the beautiful Ponte della Trinita erected at Florence in 1566 from the design of Biamonati. 6. Modern Bridges. A timber. In England timber bridges of considerable span, either braced trusses or laminated arches i.e. arches of planks bolted together, were built for some of the earlier railways, particularly the Great Western and the Manchester, Sheffield and Lincolnshire. They had mostly been replaced, decay having taken place at the joints. Timber bridges of large span were constructed in America between the end of the 18th and the middle of the 19th century. The Amescape Bridge over the Merrimack at Manchester, NHUSA built in 1792, had six spans of 92 feet. The Bellows Falls Bridge over the Connecticut built 1785-1792 had two spans of 184 feet. The Singular Colossus Bridge, built in 1812 over the Schoolkill, a kind of flat arched truss had a span of 340 feet. Some of these timber bridges are said to have lasted 90 years with ordinary repairs, but they were road bridges not heavily loaded. From 1840, trusses, chiefly of timber but with wrought iron tension rods and cast iron shoes, were adopted in America. The Howe Truss of 1830 and the Pratt Truss of 1844 are examples. The Howe Truss had timber cords and a lattice of timber struts, with vertical iron ties. In the Pratt Trust the struts were vertical and the ties inclined. Down to 1850 such bridges were generally limited to a 150 feet span. The timber was white pine. As railway loads increased and greater spans were demanded, the Howe Trust was stiffened by timber arches on each side of each girder. Such a composite structure island however, fundamentally defective, the distribution of loading to the two independent systems being indeterminate. Remarkably high timber piers were built. The Genesee Viaduct. 800 feet in length, built in 1851-1852 in 10 spans, had timber trestle piers 190 feet in height, see Moss, American Timber Bridges, Proc, Inst, C.E.S.C., 
page 305, and for more modern examples, Xi, page 409, and CLV, page 382, Cooper, American Railroad Bridges, Trans, M, Sock, CE Volumes Xi pages 128. These timber frame structures served as models for the earlier metal trusses which began to be used soon after 1850, and which, except in a few localities where iron is costly, have quite superseded them. 7. B. Masonry. The present London Bridge, begun in 1824 and completed in 1831, is as fine an example of a masonry arch structure as can be found figures 8 and 9. The design was made by John Rennie the Elder, and the acting engineer was his son. Sir John Rennie, the semi-elliptical shape of the arch is the variation of span, the slight curvature of the roadway, and the simple yet bold architectural details, combined to make it a singularly beautiful bridge. The center arch has a span of 152 feet and rises 29 feet 6 and above Trinity High Water Mark. The arches on each side of the center had a span of 140 feet and the abutment arches 130 feet. The total length of the bridge is 1,005 feet its width from outside to outside 56 feet and height above low V.04P.0536 water 60 feet. The two center piers are 24 feet thick. The exterior stones are granite. The interior, half Bramley Fall and half from Painshop, Derdisiri. The voussoirs of the center arch all of granite are 4 feet 9 inches deep at the crown, and increase to not less than 9 feet at the springing. The general depth at which the foundations are laid is about 29 feet 6 inches below low water. The total cost was L1.458.311, but the contractor's tender for the bridge alone was L425.081. Since 1867 it had been recognized that London Bridge was inadequate to carry the traffic passing over it, and a scheme for widening it was adopted in 1900. This was carried out in 1902-1904 the footwalls being carried on granite corbels, on which are mounted cornices and open parapets. The width between parapets is now 65 feet giving a roadway of 35 feet and two footwalls of 15 feet each. The architect was Andrew Murray and the engineer, G.E.W. Crutwell, Cole, Proc, Inst, C.E. Elksey, page 290. The largest masonry arch is the Adolphi Bridge in Luxembourg, erected in 1900 this has a span of 278 feet 138 feet rise above the river, and 102 feet from foundation to crown. The thickness of the arch is 4 feet 8 inches at the crown and 7 feet 2 inches where it joins the spandrel masonry. The roadway is 52 feet 6 inches wide. The bridge is not continuous in width. There are arch rings on each face, each 16.4 feet wide with a space between of 19.7 feet. This space is filled with a flooring of reinforced concrete resting on the two arches, and carrying the central roadway. By the method adopted the total masonry has been reduced one-third. One centering was used for the two arch rings, supported on dwarf walls which formed a slipway, along which it was moved after the first was built. Till near the end of the 19th century bridges of masonry or brickwork were so constructed that they had to be treated as rigid blockwork structures. The stability of such structures depends on the position of the line of pressure relatively to the intrados and extrados of the arch ring. Generally, so far as could be ascertained, the line of pressure lies within the middle half of the depth of the voussoirs. In finding the abutment reactions some principles such as the principle of least action must be used, and some assumptions of doubtful validity made, but if hinges are introduced at crown and springings, 
the calculation of the stresses in the arch ring becomes simple, as the line of pressures must pass through the hinges. Such hinges have been used not only for metal arches, but in a modified form for masonry and concrete arches. Three cases therefore arise, of the arches rigid at crown and springings, be the arches two hinged hinges at springings, see the arches three hinged hinges at crown and springings. For an elementary account of the theory of arches, hinged or not, reference may be made to a paper by H. M. Martin Kroc, Inst. C.E. Volume C.A. Page 462, and for that of the elastic arch, to a paper by A.E. Young Kroc, Inst. C.E. Volume C.C. Page 323. In Germany and America two and three hinged arches of masonry and concrete have been built, up to a 150 feet span, with much economy, and the calculations being simple, an engineer can venture to work closely to the dimensions required by theory, for hinges, Librand, of Stuttgart, uses sheets of lead about one inch thick extending over the middle third of the depth of the voussoir joints, the rest of the joints being left open, as the lead is plastic this construction is virtually unarticulation. If the pressure on the lead is uniformly varying, the center of pressure must be within the middle third of the width of the lead, that island it cannot deviate from the center of the voussoir joint by more than one eighteenth of its depth. In any case the position of the line of pressures is confined at the lead articulations within very narrow limits, and ambiguity as to the stresses is greatly diminished. The restricted area on which the pressure acts at the lead joints involves greater intensity of stress than has been usual in arched bridges. In the Wurtemberg hinged arches a limit of stress of 110 tons per square feet was allowed, while in the unhinged arches at Cologne and Koblenz the limit was 50 to 60 tons per square feet and ails to Sponset shows A's. 1891. At Richtenstein a bridge of two concrete arches has been constructed. Span 751 2 feet with lead articulations, width of arch 11 feet, depth of arch at crown and springing 2.1 and 2.96 feet respectively. The stresses were calculated to be 15, 17 and 12 tons per square feet at crown, joint of rupture, and springing respectively. At Cincinnati a concrete arch of 70 feet span has been built, with a rise of 10 feet. The concrete is reinforced by 11 9 inches steel roll joists, spaced 3 feet apart and supported by a cross-channel joist at each springing. The arch is 15 inches thick at the crown and 4 feet at the abutments. The concrete consisted of one cement two sand and three to four broken stone, an important series of experiments on the strength of masonry. Brick and concrete structures will be found in the Zetra, the Sisterite and Ing, and Arch, Varings 1895. The thermal coefficient of expansion of steel and concrete is nearly the same, otherwise changes of temperature would cause shearing stress at the junction of the two materials. If the two materials are disposed symmetrically, the amount of load carried by each would be in direct proportion to the coefficient of elasticity and inversely as the moment of inertia of the cross section, but it is usual in many cases to provide a sufficient section of steel to carry all the tension. For concrete the coefficient of elasticity varies with the amount of stress and diminishes as the ratio of sand and stone to cement increases. Its value is generally taken at 1.500.000 to 3.000.000 pounds per square in. For steel area code to 8.000.000 to area code 3.000.000 or on the average about 12 times its value for concrete. 
the maximum compressive working stress on the concrete may be 500 pounds per square inches the tensile working stress 50 pounds per square inches and the working shearing stress 75 pounds per square inch. The tensile stress on the steel may be 16.000 pounds per square inch. The amount of steel in the structure may vary from 0.75 to 1.5. The concrete not only affords much of the strength to resist compression, but effectively protects the steel from corrosion. 8. See Suspension Bridges. A suspension bridge consists of two or more chains, constructed of links connected by pins, or of twisted wire strands, or of wires laid parallel. The chains pass over lofty piers on which they usually rest on saddles carried by rollers, and are led down on either side to anchorages in rock chambers. A level platform is hung from the chains by suspension rods. In the suspension bridge iron or steel can be used in its strongest form, namely hard-drawn wire. Iron suspension bridges began to be used at the end of the 18th century for road bridges with spans unattainable at that time in any other system. In 1819 T. Telford began the construction of the Mene Bridge figure 10, the span being 570 feet and the dip 43 feet. This bridge suffered some injury in a storm, but it is still in good condition and one of the most graceful of bridges. Other bridges built soon after we.